The Big Bad Bruins have dealt with a lot of bad, bad news this week. It started with a retirement and continued with a noteworthy suspension to a player that probably shouldn't have done what he did. Have we seen that before? Also, the Edmonton Oilers make a coaching change, something we've also seen before. And the misery continues for the Montreal Canadiens. We ask when the bleeding will stop. Episode 307 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. One of the saddest days in modern Bruins history, Brett Tukarask has retired. Yeah, I know. I guess, I guess the, um, yeah, it's, it's been a weird couple weeks for Boston sports fans here. Uh, Tom Brady. He will lift milk crates yeah. no more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tom Brady retired uh, a week before Tuka Rask. That's right. It was, yeah, it was. Um, that's kind of what I was referring to. But yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a sad day for sure. Um, it was also um, we'll get to Marshawn's suspension in a second. But um, yeah, it was just strange watching the uh, the game against Carolina because there's no Tuka Rask, there's no Bergeron, there's no Marshawn, there's no David Krejci, there's no Zdeno Chara. Um, it was just, it was just strange. It's like, I felt like I wasn't watching my Bruins. It's like those five guys were, were my guys. Um, and they weren't there. Um, so, so yeah, it's definitely strange. And of course I love David Pasternak and Charlie McAvoy, but it's just, I don't know. I guess it's like, you know, I, I think all Bruins fans have a vision, like what will the Bruins look like without those core players? Um, and yeah, we get a taste of them right now. Um, as Bergeron is still injured. I think there are reports that he might come back uh, pretty soon, but who knows, and Marshawn got suspended, so we have a few more games left of uh, him being out. But, um, but yeah, it's just like, a, this is like a look into the future of, of what the Bruins are going to be. Um, and I don't know. <laughs> Part of, when you watch the Carolina game, you're like, okay, this is, this is not going to be good. And then when you watch them against the Sens, it's like, okay, actually, we might have something here. And it's, um, so probably what will end up happening is it's just going to be more of a mixture of those two things where we'll beat the good team, or we'll beat the bad teams and not beat the good teams. Um, so, um, anyways, um, as for Tuka Rask, uh, he's, he's kind of been a pretty big subject for here on Lace Em Up. Uh, mostly due to the fact that uh, the radio host, Michael Felger, uh, hated this guy. Um, and uh, me, as a Bruins fan, uh, felt like I should uh, always uh, defend my guy, Tuka Rask. Um, In fairness, didn't he have a grip with a lot of players across he did, Boston sports? He, I don't yeah. think Tuka was the only one that was just like, yeah. man, this guy's overrated. <laughs> no, 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 that, that is a fair point. Um, but I think Tuga Rask, uh, turned into like his biggest punching bag yeah. type person. He, he, was the, he was the poster yeah. boy for Michael Felger's and, criticism. And, and not only that, but like, yeah, you're right. Like Michael Felger is like this contrarian guy. He always takes that side of things. But, um, but he, I, 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 like you could see it on Twitter, like pretty much every Bruins fan I talked to 
you would always be asking like who is like like are you a fan of Tuka Rask or do you not think that he can perform in the playoffs which we'll get into in a second but like just like it's so insane like I feel like without that whole debate of if Tuka Rask is elite um is insane to me like just like just the fact that like the Bruins fans were even asking that question is uh it's just insane to me because it's like when you look at these stats when I'm about to say to you it's just insane to me and or like if you talk to any non-Bruins fan there would be like yeah Tuka Rask he was he, he was like a big reason why the Bruins were so good uh for for 15 years um before and it's just just um just crazy that like like the people that hate Tuka Rask the most are his own like are Bruins fans um, and a lot of that had to do with guys like Michael Felger um, and Joe Haggerty. So it's just, um, yeah, he was the most underappreciated uh, Boston athlete, um, I think, in my lifetime. Uh, so 30 years, um, pretty much. I, I mean, obviously I'm a little bit biased, but yeah, I can't even think of another player that's even close to as polarizing. Um, maybe Manny Ramirez, but... Um, but yeah, I, I can't really think of one. Um, so in terms of, uh, I, I know there are some Tuka haters, um, but uh, in terms of uh, his stats, um, I have a couple stats here uh, that will prove that he's not only going to get his number retired, but he's going to get into the Hall of Fame on his uh, as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, so first off, franchise ranks, uh, he had 564 games um, as a Bruin um, by goalie. Uh, that's first in the franchise. He had 308 wins. That's first in the franchise. He had a 2.28 GAA. That's second as a franchise um, record. Um, and he had a 921 save percentage. That's second, which I'll get into in a second because actually that's kind of confusing. Um, oh, I guess, okay, anyways, um, and then, uh, and then he had 52 shutouts, that's also second, um, in the franchise, um, the only Bruins goalie with five 30 win seasons, um, and, um, so, so just from, like, that standpoint, he, like, that's, like, the best <laughs> that you can get. Or I guess there's other ones. Maybe there was a first Bruins here. Because, what's interesting? Wait, now I'm confused. Because now when I look at the career, because I was going to go to the, his career in the NHL, there was, he was fourth in save percentages. Um, and I, I think that doesn't make sense. Because now, let's see here, Ken Dryden... Didn't play as a Bruin. The, the stat was minimum 300 games in terms of save percentage in NHL history. He ranks okay. third. Patrick has 922. Dryden has 922. Rask not far behind with 921 okay. if that's the stat you're looking for. Well, no. Well, but I also, that is the stat I was looking for. But Johnny Bauer was also in there. But like, then, okay. but like I was just reading off of what Nesson had. Um, and they have him as second in uh, save percentage when that doesn't make sense since he was fourth in the career and Hasek, Bauer, and Dryden didn't play for the Bruins. So I don't mm -hmm. get that. 
Maybe they're thinking of Tim Thomas. Either way, but... he's top five minimum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I see. Damn good. I see Tim Thomas is seventh here. But anyways, <laughs> um, so maybe maybe they just got confused because maybe they thought that Tim Thomas had a better save percentage, but he didn't. Um, yeah. And then uh, and then in terms of GAA, um, Tuka Rask is eleventh. Um, yeah. So, and I, I don't want to go into if any of these 10 guys were Bruins. I'm sure one of them was. Uh, but, um, but I'm sure that was inaccurate. Anyways, um, even if he was second or first or whatever, um, all the more reason for him to get his number retired. Um, and I know all these Bruins people are going to be saying like, uh, Bruins fans saying like, well, he never won the cup and all that stuff. Well, one that's kind of incorrect because he was a part of that um, that uh, that 2011 team. So technically, he does have a cup. Of course, uh, he was a backup goalie. Um, but uh, but also, um, you know who also didn't uh, win a cup while they were on the Bruins and also had their number retired? Um, I'll give you like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> two seconds. Um, Cam Garrett Neely. Cheevers, Andy Moog. No, I thought Garrett Cheevers has, but uh, Cam Neely was oh, the yeah. guy I was thinking of, and Ray Bork. Um, and they oh, are, yeah. they both have their number retired as well. Um, yeah. so, so I, 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 I think that's a silly argument to say that he's not getting his number retired. Also, yeah. if like with the Bruins, yeah. to be fair, because Ray did eventually get his, but yeah, as a Bruin, they never won. You're right, right, and Cam Neely, of course. Um, so, so like, yeah, if you're gonna say that, uh, you know, Tukaras never got his cup, and he gets his number retired, and he sh- he shouldn't get his number retired because of that, that that's a ridiculous thing. Also, like Henrik, I know it's a different organization, but Henrik Lundqvist got his number retired, um, and he never got his cup, famously. So it's like, uh, it's a, it's a silly argument, um, and. Um, yeah, so, and then as I mentioned, too, he was 11th in GAA um, for the NHL, as well as save percentage as well. Um, what's also kind of interesting, too, is, like, I know that, like, that was kind of the narrative that he wasn't good in the playoffs. Um, and I, I guess that kind of, I guess you could say that he was the goalie during those, like, 17 seconds uh, in 2013 Stanley Cup Finals. But he made them to. He made it to two Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, he also was the primary reason that the Bruins even got to those finals, um, because uh, I don't know if you remember this, but the um, in the conference uh, Eastern Conference Finals, the Bruins ended up sweeping the Penguins. Uh, that, well, I remember because yeah. Marshawn was absolutely owning Matt Cook in that series. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, Wait, was Matt Cook on the Penguins at the time? I don't think. Oh, he was, he was and he was oh, not was a happy he? camper the entire time. Well, that's I, what gave me great pleasure in watching that series. I most, I, I mostly just remember it was like Chara and Crosby were going at it the entire time. But yeah, yeah. there were probably some battles between those two. That, that was that was mostly my uh, my recollection of that series. But uh, <laughs> another recollection is Tugarask was basically a brook wall that entire series. Um, anyways, my point is, is that like, that was why he got, uh, the, the fact that he ended up giving up two goals in 17 seconds or whatever it was, um, in, uh, in the Stanley cup finals, 
um, was like that's what br most Bruins Tuca haters uh, remember him as uh, just the guy who uh, choked in the playoffs and all that stuff. And you know, honestly, that's it's kind of silly to think about when you think about it because the Blackhawks were the better team. Um, it's like, yeah, it, it does suck to lose that way. But at the same time, uh, the entire team wasn't playing that well. Um, so it's like, you can't really blame it all on Tuca. Uh, the defense wasn't as good as it should have been. Um, so I, I, I don't know if you can necessarily take it all on Tuca. Um, and yeah, and then, and then in uh, 2019, he makes it to the Stanley Cup Finals as well. I still blame the refs for that. That was also not Tuca's fault. Um, and Tuca would have won the Smythe if the uh, Bruins had won that that series. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I I think what what made me what it, what it really stuck to me was uh, during the start of the season when Linus Olmark he made this phenomenal save, and I, I guess like it's a luxury that. We still have pretty good goalies here, but um, but uh, it was at a home crowd, and I was just like, wait, why aren't anyone saying Tuuuuk? And then I just remember, it's like, oh, right, we don't have Tuuk or Rass. Um, still, it still takes a while for me to not get used to that. I mean, I guess we could say, like, Sway or stuff, but it's, it's never going to be the same. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a sad day for... Bruins fans, um, I, I guess the writing was on the wall when they signed Linus Ulmark to a four-year deal, um, and uh, and then you know they have Swayman who's doing phenomenal as well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, um, I I think where the Bruins are in good hands now. Um, Tuca did try to play some games. Um, he played four games. Uh, for the Bruins calling up here, I guess like he was going to be on the AHL, but then those games got postponed, so we never he never really got to con get conditioned or something. Um, to his credit, he did he did win two of those ga four games, uh, but then the two games that he lost, he didn't look like himself. Um, so I think. Um, after that, I was just like, okay, I don't, I don't think this is the same Tuka Rask that we're uh, used to seeing. And um, yeah, he, he re ends up retiring. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely sad. And, um, but I, I think, um, yeah, he's just one of the most underappreciated Bruins player of all time, dare I say. Yeah, and, and it's not a far-fetched argument to say that. I think most people are going to remember Tuka Rask for unfinished business, and I think that's unfair, and here's why. Remember in 2009-10, the Bruins had a very good team. Mm -hmm. And people will be surprised to note that it wasn't Tim Thomas stealing the show like he did the, the ensuing year. It was Tuka Rask, who went 22-12-5 that year with five shutouts, a 1.97 GAA, and a 931 save percentage. He finished fourth in Calder voting, seventh in Vesna voting that year, and if you want to talk about where he finished in the hard voting, he was 17th. Like, a rookie was getting hard votes. A rookie yeah. goalie getting hard votes is not something you see very often. And people are going to remember the Boston Bruins, not for Tugarath's stats that year in the regular season, 
But the fact they had a three nothing series lead to the Flyers and blew it. Oh yeah. Which, uh, which gathers uh, into the unfinished business category. I, it's the same with twenty thirteen or twenty thirteen against Chicago, same with twenty nineteen yeah. in St. Louis. People are gonna remember Tuka Rask for those. Yeah, but in the playoffs they didn't win a championship. And yeah. I think again, that's wrong. Because you look at some of the teams that the Bruins did have beyond that, when he finished fifth in Vesna voting in 2012-2013, the year they went to the finals, he was 19-10-5. He had a GAA of 2 and a save percentage of 929 with five shutouts. The next year, when they were bounced by Montreal in the second round, he won the Vesna, was 11th in hard voting, won 36 games in the 58 games that he played, and he got seven shutouts, and he got a 930 save percentage, a shed uh, better than uh, the year prior. Uh, then he gets 34 wins and plays 67, uh, and then starts 67 games, actually appears in three others. So he played in 70 games in 2014-15, and arguably the only reason why the Bruins don't make the playoffs that year is because the Sens went on that hamburger run and knocked them out, so... Not much you can do there. A Cinderella story beat you. Who cares? Uh, the next year, still got uh, 31 wins. Not too bad. Save percentage was still 915. Then the next year, he wins 37 games and plays uh, in 65, starting 63 of them. He gets eight shutouts, yeah. and the Bruins barely squeak in the playoffs. They're a first-round exit because Ottawa, but... Tell me how far the Bruins go without Tuba Rask. He won 37 games, and he started 63. What else do you want from the guy? Mm -hmm. And then, the year after, he wins 34 games out of uh, 53 starts and finishes 7th in Vezina voting. And even a couple years ago, he was 2nd in Vezina voting. So consistently, Tuka Rask brought success to the table. Maybe it didn't translate into the playoffs, but... It, it reminds me of another goalie named Curtis Joseph, who also isn't in the Hall of Fame, probably should be given the record that he's put up. But day in and day out, we talk about game-changing goalies that can win you a playoff series single-handedly. Jujo and Tuka Rask are in the same class in that department. Yep. You can debate the defenses that they played in front of, but they are very good goalies, both deserving to be in the Hall of Fame. I just really hope Tuka Rask doesn't get the Cujo treatment and he's waiting 10-plus years to get in, because he should. Uh, actually, what's what's interesting is is that when you look at Tuka Rask's playoff stats, like, I know that we're saying that, like, oh, he never actually won the big cup as the starter there. He actually has a decent record as, in the playoffs. 57-46, uh, yeah. uh, save percentage of 925, and... Um, yeah, uh, and a GA of 2.22, so that's pretty good. And now I'm looking at Curtis Joseph. Let's. I'm doing this live here. He has okay. He had 14 years in the playoff, or he had 14 times when he was in the playoffs. Um, and that's uh, save percentage of 9.17 and a 2.42 GAA. So Tuka Rats was slightly better. Um, and yeah, so it's um, so it's definitely interesting. Um, <laughs> when you said the I don't know if you heard, but when he, when you were mentioning the Flyers reverse, uh, re reverse sweep, I uh, I audibly gasped because I remembered that. Yeah, 
Um, no. so yeah. <laughs> that, just, that just shows how like it's still it's still painful, even though I know the Bruins won the cup the next year, but it's it's still definitely painful. Yeah. Um, people remember yeah. wins and losses in the big moments, yeah. and and I think that's unjustified. If you're gonna hang. Yep. The three chances that the Bruins didn't win the Stanley Cup on Tuka Rask compared to the one time that Tim Thomas had an unreal season. And he did have some unreal seasons in between that, but that was peak Tim Thomas, and the Bruins won the Cup because of Tim Thomas. Yep. Even though Tuka Rask posted pretty decent numbers that season behind Tim Thomas in 2010-11. Yep. Yeah, so good, even too. then, Rask was still pretty good. Yep. Um, uh, Curtis... And also, I'm looking here, Curtis Joseph, uh, he only had a King Clancy Award to his name. Um, he was a good goalie, but, like, that was about it. Whereas, Tugarask won the, he has one Vezina to his record. He also has a Jennings um, Award as well, and he was a two-time All-Star. Whereas, Curtis Joseph never even made the All-Star team. So, um, so I'm not sure if that's the same example, uh, the best comparison. Um, but, I, I, I but, think it... I think it, it maybe not to the letter, but like it's pretty darn close when you consider that if Cujo wasn't in the same era as Brodeur, Wan, Hashik, I'm interested to see what kind of accolades he could have gotten. And the same thing could be made with Tuka Rask if you consider that he played in the same era as guys like Henrik Lundqvist, Andre Vasilevsky, and Carey Price. Yep. Like those are some like world class goaltenders that he's going up against. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, uh, last. Thing before we get to other sad Bruins news. Um, the fact that uh, Tuka Rask was traded, he was drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs, and then he was traded about a year later to the Boston Bruins for Andrew Raycroft. Um, Andrew Raycroft was a good goalie. I, I believe he won the Calder, or he was at least nominated. I, I don't recollect that just yet, but... Um, but, yeah, it was just interesting at the time because that was, uh, like, after the, like, so Andrew Raycroft, he was, he was pulling up, like, two Karras numbers uh, before the lockout. And then, um, yeah, I guess Andrew Raycroft just didn't play at all that entire lockout season. Um, so then he just wasn't as good um, and then never got his groove back. Um, and then he went to... Um, yeah, so then uh, the Bruins just end up trading him for Tuka Rask. I guess Toronto's thing is like, oh yeah, we just drafted this guy. I know he was a first rounder, but Andrew Raycroft, he was good in the, he was good the previous year. Uh, he's going to be our goalie. What are the Bruins thinking? And it turns out Tuka Rask, this was like the best trade of all time. Um, one of the more like I know that uh, when you think of Bruins and Toronto trades. You think of the Phil Kessel trade uh, that sent out uh, two first-round picks that ended up being two top-ten picks in uh, Tyler Sagan, who went second overall, and Dougie Hamilton, who went seventh overall. Um, that kind of gets mirrored now because both Sagan and Hamilton were both traded eventually. But this one is actually the one where uh, Bruin stole, like, <laughs> won the trade by far. Because Tuka Rask uh, ended, is, is going to be in the Hall of Fame. He may not be. I, I would say he's, he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But even if he's not, he's a Hall of Famer. Whereas now, Andrew Raycroft, do you know what he's doing now, Steve? He's a color analyst for the Bruins, isn't he? Yep, yep, exactly. He's, uh, 
he was even he was even reporting on Tuka Rask during the game. It was kind of funny too. Just like, oh. I remember that because it was one of yeah. Steve Dangle's rants after the Leafs <laughs> lost another game seven. Yeah, yeah, it was just <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but uh, but yeah, Andrew Raycroft works for Nesson right now, um, and he's yeah. he's even like a sideline reporter. So he was even like reporting on. Uh, they did a whole like segment on Tuka Rast uh, during the Hurricanes game. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just funny to seeing him, hearing him talk about that. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be sad, and I felt like we should we should at least start the show with with Tuka Rask. I guess the the writing was on the wall when he had the surgery, but and it's unfortunate. But um, but yeah, I guess it, it it makes sense that he can't uh, do it anymore. And I just want to say, lace him up, me. Um, I appreciate you, Tuka Rask. Um, you don't have to worry about me turning into Michael Felger. Um, <laughs> or, or Joe Haggerty. Um, so, so yeah, I appreciate you. It's going to be sad. I do like S- Jeremy Swayman um, and Olmark, um, or you started to pick it up. But, uh, but yeah, it's definitely it's never going to be the same. Because, um, uh, like, I, I was even thinking, last point, um, I was even yeah. thinking, like, I knew that uh, Tugarask had this surgery, um, but, like, I, I still had hope that, like, Tugarask would be ready by the playoff time, and I was thinking, like, you know, you, I know it sounds crazy because I know that he was coming off of injury, he, there was a couple of games where he didn't look good, but I was still thinking that. Like, okay, I would still want Tuka Rask in the playoffs other besides Jeremy Swayman and Linus Olmark, even though Swayman and Olmark have been playing great. Um, so, like, th- that just shows how much, um, at least for me, that I was like, you know, how consistent Tuka Rask has been. Uh, like, and, and Swayman still, you know, he's still young. He still has potential. Uh, Ulmark, it's it's unclear. I mean, he he's been a little bit inconsistent, but it seems like he's been figuring it out too. So, um, but uh, but yeah, even like I know that he has that like playoff choke st- stuff to it, but I would not want any other goalie besides maybe Tim Thomas um, playing on my side than Tuka Rask. Um, so so yeah. Um, I, I will I will miss you dearly. Um, all right, so now we go to sad Bruins news here. Um, <laughs> the uh, Brad Marchand, uh, he was an idiot. Uh, uh, <laughs> I um, there goes his Hart Trophy candidacy. But uh, anyways, uh, the it was against the Penguins. Um, supposedly, um, it's unclear. I don't know if Brad Marchand has publicly said why he did this, but. Um, but supposedly, uh, like a couple of minutes before Brad Marchand punches Tristan Jari in the head, um, like before, like just seconds before the game ends, um, Tristan Jari, uh, like poke checks Charlie Coyle in the, in the stomach there. And that was supposedly why Brad Marchand, uh, punched him in the face or whatever. Um, not an excuse at all, or, like, I mean, I guess that would be the the defense, but it's not, still, like, punching someone in the face is uh, definitely a lot worse. Um, 
So, um, and then also in the, previously in the game, he, uh, Tristan Jari was trying to give a stick, oh no, a puck to a Penguins fan in the stands. This was in uh, TD Garden. Um, and uh, Brad Marchand comes out of nowhere and blocks him. Um, originally, I thought that this was funny, but then when I wrote this to Steve, and Steve made this good point that it's like, it's actually not really that funny. It's like this, this that kid's going to remember that moment for the rest of his life. And then Brad Marchand just did it just because he's like a, an opposing goalie. It's 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 kind of immature. Um, so so I think that was uh, another kind of asshole move. Um, I know we don't swear on the show, but I did. Um, and. Uh, and also, uh, there was also a moment, I don't think I showed it to you, but there's also a moment where Crosby was going off of the ice and Brad Marchand was trying to like prevent him from going on the bench for some reason. So I, yeah. I, he was just being his old self. Um, it's, it's kind of a shame too, because I think like the whole general public was getting used to Brad Mar like liking Brad Marchand. He was on Twitter talking about like... Um, going back at like not the the nhl not going to the olympics and all that stuff um so uh, so now it's just like yeah he's uh he went overboard this game um and yeah it's it's hard to admit that uh or it's like hard usually i can have some excuse ready but i i don't have an excuse ready um, and, uh, nor, do, nor should I, uh, but, but yeah, you, you just can't, you can't punch a, a goalie in the face. Uh, that's, that's just not cool. Um, but anyways, he gets six games. I'm surprised it, it was six games. I thought it would be like 10 games at least, but, um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, he gets six games and also that game was when, uh, Bergeron gets injured too. So, um, so yeah, the, the Bruins are not in uh, a good state right now uh, when we need all the games that we can get um, and we don't have our two best guys. When you look at Brad Marchand since 2016-17, and there were a couple of seasons where you're just like, okay, this guy could turn into a star in this league. 2016-17 was his official arrival, the official arrival of Brad Marchand, the hockey star. He was seventh in heart voting that year. Even getting some sulky votes over the past five seasons, he, the worst he's finished in that department is 12th. He's finished ninth in sulky voting uh, in each of the past two seasons. But in 2016-17, he was seventh in heart voting, got 39 goals and 85 points. 34 and 85 points in, in 12 fewer games the next season. He's 11th in heart voting. 100 points, 36 goals in 79 games, fifth in hard voting. That was 2018-19, the last of the normal seasons we were used to when uh, the Bruins made the finals. And he had some good playoff runs in between all of that. 2019-20, 87 points in 70 games, ninth in hard voting. Last year, 69 points in 53 games, along with 29 goals, fifth in hard voting, one of the NHL's top scorers. This is not 2010-2011 Brad Marchand. This Brad Marchand is supposed to leave. This guy's supposed to be a veteran. He is not supposed to be a distraction. And on that game, when the Bruins needed leadership, they didn't get it from Brad Marshall. Yep. They got the guy who was stirring the pot. And 
you know what? Maybe that's how Brad Marchand plays his best hockey is by getting everyone mad at him. But you, you got to pick your fights. You got to pick your battles. And there was just a lot of like childish stuff there that for a guy who's going to be turning 34 years old in May, I, I, I expect more from Brad Marchand this stage in his career and, and not that kind of stuff. Now, he said what he did to Tristan Jerry wasn't suspension worthy. I argue that it probably yep. was suspension worthy. Like if you, if the NHL doesn't issue a penalty at going after the goaltender, then more teams are just going to say, okay, well, we're all going after your goalie then. Like a couple of weeks ago, literally a couple of weeks ago, right? We're talking about Aaron Dell and Drake Batherson and Dell gets three games. If Brad Marchand gets nothing for going after Tristan Jerry, what are we sending the message that goalies have to defend themselves now? Mm-hmm. And then we get more instances of goalies just stepping up for themselves. And that puts player safety at risk. So it's all about mitigating the damages and looking after player safety. That's what the NHL is trying to do. The reason why it was six games is because of Marshawn's reputation and everyone knows it. I, I would be, if they made it 10 games, uh, you can be sure Brad Marshawn appeals that yeah. 100%. Because I think 10 games would have been a bit uh, too much. But the fact that uh, he was getting at least five games based on the amount of the type of hearing he was going to get, I think six games is justified. But it's very, very poorly timed for a Bruins team, like you mentioned, Brett, that doesn't have Chair anymore, doesn't have Tuka Rask anymore. I think McAvoy's hurt. I think Grizzlick uh, got hurt early uh, later on in the week. Yeah. And, and now they don't have Marchand for six games and they've got a lot of tough matchups coming up yep. they need Marshawn available for all of those and now they don't have them uh McAvoy's actually healthy but uh but okay Grizzly, good Grizzly, at least they have McAvoy yeah, yeah um yeah so the Bruins I was telling this to Steve uh when this happened the Bruins next six games uh, uh two of them have they've already played so Carolina um Ottawa then they play the Rangers on Tuesday, the Islanders on Thursday, Ottawa again on Saturday, and then uh, Colorado on Monday. Um, so, so yeah, that's, um, I mean, Otto, besides Ottawa and maybe the Islanders, uh, yeah, the Rangers and Colorado the, the, and Carolina are, are tough matchups. And especially when you don't have Bergeron, when you don't have Marshawn, uh, that's, <laughs> it's like, it's tough even with, with those guys, so um, so yeah, it's uh, uh, the the Bruins have their um, uh, have I can't even think of the phrase. They they, they they've uh, they got their work cut out for them, yeah, so yeah, to speak. And even when you look at the Sens and Islanders and the way they played in recent weeks, they're no tough test. They're no easy walk in the park either. Right, like, right. They can no, beat the Bruins too. Sens just beat the Caps. Yeah, and no. they kept the Penguins close as well. <laughs> on a second back-to-back, no less. Um, yeah. But yeah, the uh, yeah, no, you're you're right. It, it wouldn't be shocking to to see the the, the Bruins or lose like all those games. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was just uh, it wasn't it wasn't pretty. Um, I I have a conspiracy theory, um, but it may just be a coincidence. Um, but I, I think, so Brad Marchand, I, I think, wasn't in the All-Star game because of his comments on the Olympics. Um, 
Mage, this was the uh, the game against the Penguins was the first game back from the All Star game. I think Brad Marchand was trying to get suspended uh, because in protest for the NHL not making the Olympics. He's just like, all right, I'm just gonna do whatever it takes to to get suspended, um, and um, and that's what he was doing. But uh, but of course, I have no proof. It's a conspiracy theory at this point. But I. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if if in his mind he was just thinking like all right uh, we're we're not making we're not going to the Olympics I really wanted to go I'm just gonna do something really dumb <laughs> and and uh, and then yeah and this is what the results came out to be um, all right moving on um, the Edmonton we have two coach firings here um, I guess we're also talking about a lot of teams that we talk a lot about already um, because uh, Edmonton, they fire a Dave Tippett. Um, I guess it was time. Uh, Edmonton had been struggling uh, for a while now, um, so, so they had to make some type of move. Uh, they did end up signing Evander Kane, who's actually been pretty good for them. But uh, yeah, they also fired Dave Tippett. Um, in goes uh, Jay Woodcroft. Um, and, uh, so I'm looking at his coaching records. He, he was, uh, fourth, uh, he spent four years in Bakersfield for the Bakersfield Condors. Um, and, uh, he actually has a decent record or he went, uh, this, this year he went 19, 10, uh, 19, 10 and seven, uh, the, uh, previous year in 2020, 21 season, uh, the Bakersfield ended up winning the championship that year, uh, but he went uh, 24 and 14 and a one. Um, and then, uh, yeah, he, I guess, oh, the second year, um, which I guess was the only season that uh, he didn't have a winning record for, but he went uh, tw 21 and 27. And then his first year at Bakersfield, he went uh, 42 and 21, and they lost in the second round. Um, for the last uh, like decade or so, he was an assistant coach for the Edmonton Oilers, and then uh, the Sharks for about seven years. Um, he was also a video coach for the Red Wings um, from 2005 to 2008. So he has some NHL experience as well, uh, just never head coaching experience. Um, like of this magnitude um also interestingly i'm noticing in his playing career he uh played for the university of alabama huntsville um from 1996 to 2000 um and that's not really known for college hockey so that's kind of interesting that he went to alabama to play some hockey um but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see what they were going to do. I guess the writing was on the wall as well for Edmonton, just because Edmonton's not in a playoff spot right now. They needed to do something, and this is what they ended up doing. Um, but um, but if it's going to work, I'm not necessarily sure. But I guess there is something to the fact of like hiring the AHL coach who has some experience in, in that field, and they can maybe bring along guys like Evan Bouchard or uh, Philip Proberg or, um, yeah, even like Kyler Yamamoto, um, who they worked with previously on that team. So, 
So yeah, maybe it will end up working. We'll see. But uh, but yeah, I guess it was a coaching move that was warranted. Yeah, I think they're hoping that it's going to be like a Bruce Cassidy kind of vibe where like he gets along with the veterans, but also uh, for whatever reason, the young players uh, take the extra step with Woodcroft uh, compared to Dave Tippett. Because I think um, the rhetoric that I've heard from Dave Tippett is just like, well, are, are the young guys going to be able to, to take that leap under the system that he's implemented? Uh, and the Oilers need depth, and they need their young guys to – to start picking up the slack like the veterans have and you're not going to get that much scoring depth on the open market so that's where you need prospects uh, and the young development of the prospects that you have in the system to really shine and for the Oilers it hasn't happened as often as you'd like it to and I think over time this could work for this season it might be too little, little too late because you still have the same defense you still have the same goaltending Again, the only way I think this gets turned around is if they get Marc-Andre Fleury. And if they were in a different division, I would say they have no chance. The only reason why the Oilers still have a chance is you look at the Pacific Division and you're just like, yeah, a top three spot is still achievable. Yep. Like, you look at where Calgary and Vegas are, there's not much separating them. And then you look at everyone else and you're just like, wow, the Canucks that looked dead in the water a couple of months ago, they have a shot. Yep. It, it, if they get a top three spot in the Pacific Division, forget the wild card battle, they're in the playoffs. Yep. So it, it's not impossible for the Oilers to catch fire, but they need a lot to go right, and they need better goaltending for that to happen. And I don't see the goaltending tandem that they currently have uh, delivering the goods. Even if Mike Smith starts to play well, I don't think it's going to be sustainable. So um, yeah, they, they still need more than a, a coaching change to to right the ship for this year. Next year could be a different story, but this year they still need a lot to go their way. Yeah, actually, that is a good point. Um, you know, the Pacific Division is, like, I know Vegas is in the lead. I'm in the Pacific Division. Um, but they have 59 points. Um, San Jose Sharks, who are in seventh place in that division, they have 48 points. So that means that uh, like there's 11 points in between from uh, the first place and the seventh place, which is uh, uh, which is pretty crazy compared to all the other divisions. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's definitely um, a good point too. Is like yeah, the Edmonton definitely has a shot, um, especially since like it seems like Calgary, LA, and Anaheim are uh, kind of uh, wild cards in that sense. Um, they're they've been inconsistent all year, but. Um, but yeah, so have Edmonton. So they definitely have a shot to make the playoffs, but um, who knows if it'll this this will end up working or not. Um, so we actually uh, we're gonna the main topic here though is actually I think one of the more interesting news stories uh, or coaching hires in a long 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 time. I can't even remember the other another more interesting story here, but um, so. Dominique Ducharme is out as the Montreal coach, and in comes Martin St. Louis, um, speaking of Hall of Famers. Um, so uh, what, what's interesting about Martin St. Louis is, like, I was just reading you Woodcroft's res coaching resume, um, and, he, you know, it seems he's been in the, de uh, the league in some capacity for, like, two decades. Whereas St. Louis, yes, he was a uh, phenomenal player. Um, 
and even like paved paved the way for short guys like Cole Caulfield to even be a first round pick. But uh, but the only coaching experience that Martin St. Louis has is uh, in twenty nineteen he became the special teams consultant for the Columbus Blue Jackets, working alongside John Tortorello, um, and that's um, and that's it. Uh, so, so he was only, uh, he was working for the Blue Jackets as a consultant for two years. He, uh, he's not even a coach. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then, uh, he gets hired by Montreal four years later. Um, so, or not four years later, three years later. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's about it. Um, of course he's a French speaking Canadian so that might have more to do with it uh, from their hiring standpoint, but it's it's interesting because it's like just name recognition. Um, Martin St. Louis, Hall of Famer. Um, so and he was a great player, of course, but um, I'm not sure if it's necessarily going to translate uh, to uh, the uh, NHL, um, especially since this is his first time being a head coach. Uh, but, uh, here's the good news. Uh, the Habs have, uh, I mean, it, it can't get any worse for the Habs. Uh, they are, they are dead last in the NHL, which is impressive because Arizona is actively tanking. Um, they are 8-23-7, or 8-33-7. Uh, Arizona is five points ahead of them at this moment. Uh, they have 106 goals for, they have 191 goals against, which is a minus 80, with a, a minus 85 goal differential. Um, their home record, I can leave that to you, and their road record, I can also leave that to you. They're 31st in um, power play, uh, and they're 30th in PK. Uh, they're 24th in shots for per game, and they're 30th in shots against they're also on a tame game losing streak um so yeah I'll, I'll just ask this first question to you um how do we think msl will fare I'm, I'm calling him msl i don't know if everyone else calls him msl but we're gonna we're gonna start calling him msl <laughs> um from now on uh so how, how do we think msl will fare well i mean Given what the Habs have done, I don't think it could fare much worse. Right, right, right. Like, it can only go up from here, right? Like, yeah. Th this is truly rock bottom for Montreal. Like, they won 13 playoff games last year. They've only won eight regular season games mm -hmm. the year after. Like, that's pretty bad. Uh, their home and road record, as you might expect, with the record that they have, is atrocious. At home, they're 5-17-1, fresh off a 5-3 loss to the Sabres. Yes, the Sabres beat them in regulation. 3-16-6 uh, on the road, uh, which is worse. Um, power play percentage is 13.5%. Penalty kills, 73.3%. The Canucks earlier this year, I don't think they were even at 70%, and they've improved the Habs. They just keep going down. Uh, shots for per game. The past couple of years... When the Habs have looked like an average team, I would always see them at the top of the leaderboard in shots on goal per game. I don't know how many of those shots were quality shots, uh, if they're just point shots and people are waiting in front of the net, if they were shots taken from 
not really dangerous spots and it was easy stops for the goalie. I can't tell you that. But they were getting shots on goal. And they're in the bottom 10 in that category. Like, they're not even in the top 10 for shots on goal per game. They're near the bottom. And they have allowed a lot of shots, um, which when you don't have Carey Price and Jake Allen uh, and you're just throwing the young goalies to the wolves, uh, that's not usually a good recipe for wins, and it hasn't been. Uh, and as you mentioned, that 10-game losing streak is, is also pretty bad. When you just look at how things started for them this year, the Habs scored one goal in each of their first three games. Then they got shut out. Then they only scored one goal. They erupted for six goals against Detroit in a massive 6-1 to one win. And then the next game, they only scored one goal. Shocker, the only game that they won out of those games was the game where they scored six goals against Detroit and won 6-1. to one. Now, you look at some of the shot uh, totals that they've given up. 45-32, to 32, they were outshot against the Sharks. They lost that game. In fact, uh, or actually, no. They won that game somehow and, uh, and, and shut out the Sharks for nothing. Uh, I think that was a Jake Allen game, so that explains it because he has stolen a few for them. Uh, then the next game, they're outshot 38-28. to 28. They, shocker, lost that. The next game, they only got 18 shots against the Ducks. Shocker, they lost that one, too. Um, they played Detroit pretty well and shut them out uh, the following game on uh, November the 2nd. That was a 3-0 final. They outshot Detroit 41-22. to 22. So at least they're doing better against the Red Wings. I recall in uh, the... 2020 playoff bubble they have lost all four games to detroit so at least they're beating somebody right but it's it's only the red wings they they've beaten them twice at that point and a couple of others and then it just starts to snowball you see a couple of five twos and six twos um the shot totals uh 41 shots against then you have uh, 43 shots against uh 50 shots against pittsburgh but they somehow won that because again jake allen uh, 42 shots against 44. The best streak that I can recall vividly was a back-to-back road trip against Dallas and Vegas. And obviously it was a longer than a two-game road trip, but in this part of the road trip, they had a game against Dallas and they had a game against Vegas. In the game against Dallas, they gave up 50-plus shots. And Sam Montembeau, on his back alone carried the Habs to a 5-3 victory. Like, that was a game that you would figure the Habs deserved to lose, and they were getting all the breaks because, I guess, at that point, they deserved a few, and they ended up beating the Stars that game. The next night, against a Vegas team that's been hot and cold all season long, you're not sure what to make of them, how good they are. The Habs get a point in overtime, but they lose to the Golden Knights, and again, they give up 50-plus shots, and again, thanks to Montembeau, they get some results. So that's three of a possible four points on back-to-back nights where you give up 50-plus shots a night. And the only reason you got three of four points is because your goalie was on point. That's the most successful stretch the entire season in terms of a results standpoint that I've seen out of the hats. And when you look at the stats and you realize they probably could have lost and should have lost both games, you start to see how bad things have been. And the cherry on top for me, Brett, was a chart that you showed me in our email chats. And it basically, I think it was from Jay Fresh, correct me if I'm wrong. But this chart basically showed multiple statistical angles of the Habs. And 
each and every single one of them, it appears, they are bottom five in the NHL in all of them. Yep. So you're thinking, are the Habs that bad? Yes, they are that bad. So if you're asking me how this coach is going to fare, if I'm Martin St. Louis, I try to get the young guys going. Guys like Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield that have struggled, I try to get them as much opportunities to succeed and just let them play. The weakness of the Habs has been trusting the young guys. It was a case with Julian in clutch situations. It was a case with Dominic Ducharme until the backs were against Wall in Toronto and they had no choice but to put him there. That has to change no matter who the next coach is. That, for me, for Martin St. Louis, has got to be the biggest priority. Trusting the young guys more and letting them develop. And obviously, getting the veterans going. That's another thing. Yeah, uh, so... Uh, yeah, when I showed you that Jay Fresh thing, I, I mean, I think we both know right now, it's like, I, I think we know that. I'm not too familiar with the advanced stats community stuff uh, for hockey. I mean, like, I, I sometimes listen to it, but it's it's sometimes hard to understand what what they are. So, uh, but when I saw that, like, Jay Fresh is someone who I follow, and then when I saw that, graphic I was just like oh my god like the Habs are actually pretty bad or like they are who we think the Arizona Coyotes are um you know so it's it's just uh yeah it's it's kind of insane yeah they're they're pretty bad um but uh what I did find that was interesting going to this question of how do I think the Habs will or MSL will fare um I, uh, during his press conference, he was just asked about his, the playing style and like, if he was going to take anything that he learned as a player, um, and, and, and put it on as, uh, in the NHL. And I was just, uh, and he said something along the same lines of like, he's just going to let players like learn to like mess around and just have more fun. Yeah, um, let and, players play. Yeah, and, and let players fun, play. Yeah. And like if if they fail and they they mess up a, a play, that's fine. He's not going to like uh, take away their ice time. He's because that's how he was as a player. Or that's the coach that he liked, which is kind of funny because <laughs> when I was reading this, it's like a lot of his coaches or like the coaches that he worked a lot with is John Tortorella, who's the exact opposite of that. Um, so. So it is, I I am, as weird, I know I'm a Bruins fan, I don't like the Habs, I'm a, I'm a biased Habs hater here, but I will say, I, I do look forward to I watching this out, because this is what I think more coaches should allow players to do, is allow them to grow and stuff like that. I mean, of course, I can understand it if you're like a team like the Habs, or if you're a team like... Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights or a team that's seriously contending, I can understand why you want to, like, not develop your young players. But, but yeah, this is what you want to see on a rebuilding team or just a team that's on its own, like, that doesn't, that won't have Carey Price, uh, at least for this year. Um, It looks like they're, they're not going to have Shea Weber for, uh, like, forever, uh, for the rest of his contract. So it's like, yeah, you might as well see what guys like Nick Suzuki can bring, what guys like Cole Caulfield can bring, 
Um, eventually, what Caden Primu, I mean, I know he's a goaltender, but what Caden Primu can have. Uh, Romanov is another one. Like, I can just go along the list of who the like young guys that the Habs have. But um, in order to do that, you have to, like, allow them to mess up and, and make mistakes and uh, see what's going out. And that's what a lot of teams should be able to, or should be doing um, instead of just like uh, getting them to be more like to fit into this certain mold that they want them to be. Um, instead, just like let them play. Um, and so that's something that I, I think like it's possible that it won't end up working out. But, um, but I do like that direction, and that kind of brings into this point of, like, it seems like the Habs are in a rebuild right now, um, just with that hiring of Kent Hughes as well, um, kind of indicates as well. So it's, so yeah, I think they're, they're trying to get it so that he can, they can, like, you know, uh, the Habs can be a fun team to watch um, and and uh, because like if they're not as pressurized to make the right play um, they're going to be worried that they're going to be benched for the rest of their time there so that's something that I I look forward to seeing and it's a, it's a different approach that we haven't seen in the NHL and I'm curious to see if that's going to work or not. Yeah, it's an approach that you have to take now because, like, let's face it, the Habs are done. They're yep. not going to do anything this year. So yep. make all your mistakes now and yep. and learn how to get better next year. Yeah, and it's also cool, too, that, like, this GM is, like, a non, uh, non-traditional way of getting there. Uh, he was, uh, you know, he's he was a scout or an agent before, and he's a GM now. And, like, Martin St. Louis, yeah, he was a great player, Hall of Fame player, in fact. But he also went undrafted. He also, like, it's not a Wayne Gretzky situation where he, like, he, uh, like, he can't, like, explain what, um, you know, like, he, he's, he, like, he's never gone through hardships. He's, he's definitely gone through hardships. He went undrafted. He goes to Vermont, uh, University of Vermont for college, then he works his way into Cal- Calgary, and then he gets traded from Calgary to, like, uh, Tampa Bay, then he becomes an all-pro, an all-star in in Tampa Bay, wins a cup there, and then he, you know, and then he goes to the Rangers, um, eventually, um, and almost wins the cup there, so, uh, so yeah, he's a, he's a, um, so it's, like, it's different from, like, a guy like Wayne Gretzky, who, like, I, I think there is something where, like, as good as Wayne Gretzky is, that doesn't necessarily translate to being a good coach. But from, like, Martin St. Louis' standpoint, is yes, he's also a Hall of Famer, sure. But, like, I think just because of his unique career path, um, like, that could come at an advantage for him as a coach because he's seen it from all different sides where... Like, he was that player who wasn't guaranteed top-line minutes uh, wherever he goes. So, um, or at least to start when he when he started into the league. Um, so, so that's something that's um, it's kind of cool. Also, not to mention the fact that, like, there are guys like Cole Caulfield, Brandon Gallagher, um, who are short 
players. Um, and Martin St. Louis is the the role model that all the, I'm sure, I think Cole Caulfield says like he idolized Martin St. Louis as a player. Um, and so it's like, it's kind of cool that like, that's his coach now. Um, and so I could see it uh, working out just from that standpoint too. It's just, yeah. So I, I, I kind of like how Montreal is just trying to go take a different approach to um, who they hire and who they develop. Um, because I guess what they were doing with uh, just French coaches or coaches that just happened to be French, it wasn't working. So, um, so yeah, I think it's, it's going to, uh, it could, it could end up working out for them. Um, all right, next question. I forgot that, like, I, I didn't give you a question for the next thing. Uh, what should the plan be? Are we going fire sale or a hard retool? Uh, this is more of a GM question, but, uh, yeah. Um, what, what do you think the plan is going to be? My definition of a fire sale is you basically get rid of everybody. And yep. the Habs don't want to do that. Uh, I don't think they should. There are some parts of this team um, that, that uh, you definitely hang on to. Here, here are the guys that I think they should hang on to. First of all, Nick Suzuki is your future center. Cole Caulfield is your future goal-scoring winger. Um, you cannot part with those guys, yep. and they still have a lot, a lot of hockey to play. Um, so they're they're definitely a part of the future. I I think Toffoli, given how the season has gone, has been pretty good. Twenty six points in thirty seven games. I know he's only scored nine goals, but again, the Habs really haven't scored many goals as a team. And you look at the season that Toffoli had last year. Even if he doesn't get last year's numbers again, he's still efficient. Twenty to twenty five goal scorer, and I think. If you um, get all the pieces in place uh, to form a deadly top six, uh, Toffoli can certainly be that. Now, it might take some time with uh, how things go, um, but I think Toffoli can be a very solid player for Montreal. Um, I look at someone like Josh Anderson and maybe keep him around for a little bit longer, at least a year, to see what there is, um, maybe two years. Um, but I, I definitely be more patient with Anderson than others. Um, I look at someone like Brendan Gallagher. That's the heart and soul of the team. Ten points in three games is underwhelming, yes. But if you're thinking of Shea Weber and the type of leadership that he provides, Brendan Gallagher is a guy that gets under your skin, but he's a heart and soul dude. He loves the city. He loves the team. And he just committed to this team uh, not too long ago to stay in Montreal. So... I think it's uh, a no-brainer that Gallagher should be the next captain, so I definitely uh, keep him in, in the mix. And obviously, the young guys like Alex Romanov, uh, they have a lot of room to grow. Michael Pozzetta could be a solid uh, depth piece uh, who's not afraid to fight anybody. Uh, just just um, not, not as good as Brendan Gallagher, but definitely has that, that grit that the Habs need in the bottom six. Uh, so I, I definitely keep him around. Everyone else, it's an interesting story. Jonathan Druin has got one year left on his contract after this season. I think he could look really good on a contender. I, I think the Habs, in terms of prospects, are really lacking. So I think it's a 50-50 chance he gets uh, traded before the start of next season. But we'll see. 
Christian Dvorak, I give him another year. David Savard, I give him another year, see what he can do. Same with Joel Edmondson. Uh, Jake Allen is on an expiring uh, year of his contract next year. I think a lot of teams could want him. But I think it all depends on the status of Carey Price, what happens uh, with him. I think he'd be wise to keep around, especially when you consider that you need time for the goalies to develop. So I, I think Jake Allen stays for now. Um, Montembeau and and Primo, I think Primo's more uh, needs more seasoning in the minors, but I think Montembeau could be a serviceable NHL goalie, but it wouldn't shock me if he's in the AHL next year. It all depends on the health of Price and Allen. Jeff Petrie, three years left on his deal after this year. I don't know. I think it's a 50-50 coin toss uh, with that. Um, bottom six depth, um, or uh, the second pairing and third pairing on defense, there are some questions there. Uh, Mike Hoffman, I 100% trade him in the offseason. I, I think he can be a good power play presence. I don't think it's going to work in Montreal. So he's a guy that I consider moving immediately. Uh, someone like Paul Byron, just to shed some salary, that could probably be an option there. Everything else is is a wait and see. I think you give most of this core another year and then see what you have and go from there. Because if you're the Montreal Canadiens, right, and, and this is mostly what I'm hinging my argument on, is you look at this roster and you say, okay, surely everyone is not going to be this bad next year. We're going to be better next year. But how much better are you going to be in comparison to where the rest of your division is going to be? How much better are you going to be? If you're over 500 and significantly over 500, great. But how good of a team are you going to be in regards to the rest of the Eastern Conference? It's an analogy that I've said with other situations like uh, we saw in the past in Minnesota and we've seen recently with the Sharks. The prospect pool is what is really going to dictate things and the salary cap too. Because remember last year, Brett, the Habs had a lot of salary cap space. Um, around the time uh, Sebastian Ajo was signed to that offer sheet, they also had a fair amount of cap space to work with. Yeah. They don't have that salary cap space anymore. So at that point, you're hoping for guys like Cameron Hillis and Yan Mishak to deliver the goods and provide bottom six depth and maybe some top six depth in the future. I don't think those guys alone, coupled with the guys that uh, they recently drafted, and I checked the Quebec Major Junior League stats in recent days, um, the Habs have some draft picks that are killing it this year in the Quebec League. Hmm. However, you need a lot more than just four or five guys on a team that's already aging, on a team that relies a lot on Carey Price and Shea Weber to deliver consistency and stability. Maybe not from an offensive standpoint or a defensive standpoint, but just in the locker room. The locker room stability to get them out of these tough situations, I think has been really, really lacking in this locker room. So if all of that success is hinging on locker room stability and the leadership and the veterans that potentially you don't have uh, for the foreseeable future, that I, I think... I think you got to go not scorch of the earth rebuild, but I think somewhere between a rebuild and a hard retool. Because there's definitely some guys that Montreal can keep and should keep, but they are not going to be a contender with the majority of this group. 
So there are, um, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, I don't, I don't think they, they should go on a fire sale either. However, it's going to be different reasons than what you laid out. Uh, there are only four guys that I think the Habs should not trade without any question, unless there's like a Godfather offer. Uh, it's, um, it's Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, Romanoff, uh, for obvious reasons. They're young guys. They're, they're pretty good right now. Um, and then Brendan Gallagher, uh, for the reasons that you mentioned too, he's like the heart and soul of the team right now. Um, and you know, I, I, so those are the four guys that you should not trade without any, um, uh, no questions asked there. Uh, Carey Price and Shea Weber, I mean, I guess you could trade them, but I, I don't think any team's going to want them. But then that leaves, like, who do you trade or who gets a ton of value? I guess you have jo uh, Josh Anderson, but he's on a long-term contract, $5.5 million. Um, so it's like, and he's 27 years old. Uh, you might not end up getting a ton of uh, a ton of value out of him. Mike Hoffman's another one where I agree that you should trade him, but uh, again, I'm not sure who's like you're gonna get a ton out of him. Tyler Toffoli, the same reason. Um, and then Jeff Petrie, I think, is another one that I think you could get a lot, but he also has a no movement clause. Um, and he's all, and even if he removes that no movement clause, he's making six million for four years. So I, I think that there is a time when the Habs should definitely be on a rebuild and start looking for the future. Um, and they do have some good pieces like Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki and Romanoff. But uh, but yeah, you're gonna need more than those three players. Um, however, I think the, the difference is, is that like, when you look at the rest of the team, it's like, I'm not sure how much value you can really get out of any of these guys. So, so that makes it a lot tougher, uh, to end up to trading because I don't think you're going to, yeah, it's, it, it might not be like a Minnesota wild type situation or like where you can just make a few quick moves and all of a sudden you're making it into uh, the next, you know, you're, you're making it um, into the playoffs every year. Um, so there's that. Also on the other standpoint is in the draft, you're at least guaranteed a top four pick. Um, so, so you have that to look forward to as well. Um, and yeah, I, I get what you're saying in the prospects. It's like, yeah, you have Jan Misek, Joshua Roy, um, Xavier Simino, um, Riley Kidney are your four best players according to elite prospect, or your four best prospects according to um, elite prospects. And, and Roy and, si and uh, Ron Simino, by the way, they were late round picks yeah. last year by Montreal. They weren't like second or third round selections or even yeah. late first. They were like later, later in the draft. So was Kidney and Misak, if I remember correctly, too. Uh, but and yeah, also Caden Gooley uh, too on defense. Caden Gooley's another one, defender yeah. that could help too. Although, if I recall, he's more of like a shutdown guy. I'm not sure if he's more. He's like more of an offensive guy, but. Um, I mean, goals against where it is right now, the Habs will happily take that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. Jordan Harris is another one too. So, so yeah, yeah. Um, but. Um, 
but yeah, so I, I, I think like the mod, like in terms of prospects, they are kind of in good shape. But yeah, if they if they add Shane Wright or if they add Joachim Kemmel, um, or like uh, Savoie, um, I I think they could be in good shape uh, for the future because uh, they just need to stockpile on picks. Um, I I guess I'm just not sure if you're going to get a first out of any of these guys. Maybe Jeff Petrie. Uh, Petri, because he is pretty good, um, and a, I'm sure a team could want him. Uh, but then again, you look at his contract; it's like six million for four years. It's like, who's gonna end up taking that? Um, and especially if you're gonna give off like a first round pick, I'm not necessarily sure um, if that's worth it. Josh Anderson, I I think it's probably gonna be the closest you could get a first round pick. Um, of any of these guys that you could trade. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure, um, if any of these guys would be warranted of a first round pick other than the obvious Cole Caulfield, Brendan Gallagher and Nick Suzuki, which you should not, uh, should not trade. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and to clarify my stance on this, I'm not saying that all these changes are going to happen overnight. You look at the sense in 2017, 18, they dealt guys in expiring contracts, but yeah. it was around 2018, 19, where they made the majority of their decisions. Now, mind you, the majority of their decisions were guys in expiring contracts. It's a bit different with Montreal, but when you look at the Sens at the time they made the coaching change in 2018-19, and Guy Boucher was told, uh, or was it was basically said a week before he was fired by Pierre Dorian that we're going to stick with our guy till the end of the year. We're going to yeah. give Guy Boucher a chance to finish up the season, and then literally three or four days later, they right. they put in Mark Crawford as interim coach, and Guy Boucher is at the door. And it was similar in the sense that Jeff Gordon on December 3rd said, hey, we're not going to change our coach. We're going to let Ducharme ride things out for the year. I think morale must have been very, very low in the locker room. Like something must have happened where it's just like, okay, we can't go the rest of the season with things being the way they are right now or things could get very, 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 very bad. Well, they are already already bad right now. Well, what's, what's like, inter- like yeah. if, if, if you continue on this path of trajectory and this path of losing with, with no yep. progress, then the value of guys like Druin and Petrie and whoever else start to yep. deteriorate, heading into the offseason, you're not really going to get anything going. You don't know what the young development of your, uh, the development of your own players is going to be like, which is, I think, another reason why I think they made this coaching change when they did is because yep. something had to change on the ice. I'm saying most of the key changes are going to happen after the season is done, after the draft has been done, so that the Habs know what they've gotten in the draft. And then I think next year is when you're really going to start to see the wheels in motion. Yeah, but like I guess it's like if they end up getting Shane right, then yeah, it's good. It's like well, they <laughs> like could get whole... Connor Bedard too. Like yeah, yeah, who Connor says Bedard's they're going to be better next year? They could be just as bad. I know, right? But like I'm saying, if if they end up getting like I'm just talking about the present day. If they end up getting Shane Wright, then yeah, the season's worth it because they ended up getting the top pick, a future franchise player. Um, so it's it's definitely it would definitely be worth it for them. Um, well, and, and the big prize for them is the number one center that they've. Yep. Been searching ages for. Yep, and with sure. their salary gap situation, I think you're more likely to get that 
by drafting a Shane Wright or somebody else down the road, but as opposed to signing someone in free agency that's in the prime of their careers right now. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Um, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, no, no, that's, that's definitely a good point. Um, and yeah, I think, I think my point is more that like, I'm not sure, like they could do a fire sale and I think they, they should. It's just more like, I'm not, I, I guess maybe you could get a first out of like J Jonathan Duran and Tyler Toffoli, but like, that's not really a fire sale. <laughs> um, so, so I'm not, um, and you could probably get a first out of Josh Anderson or Jeff Petrie, but because of their contracts, I, I'm not sure any team would want to do that. So, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, it, it would be smart to necessarily do that either. Um, but if any team's going to want, want to take them on, uh, I guess go for it, but it might be difficult. Um, all right, our last question here is how much of the Habs resurgence hinges on Price and Weber? I think we're going to come up with the same answer uh, based off of the question, <laughs> the other answers that we have. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I don't. I I, I think uh, I would be shocked if we see Shea Weber play again. Um, it looks like it's pretty serious. Um, so they're probably just going to keep him on LTIR. Um, for the rest of his contract, uh, which ends in five years, believe it or not. But um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think they're going to. Uh, uh, I don't think Shea Weber's in their future plans at all. Carey Price may come back next year. That could end up helping them. Um, but but maybe Carey Price wants to go to another team. Um, at some point, I mean, that, that could be possible, uh, cause it doesn't seem like this team is going to make the playoffs, let alone the Stanley cup in a couple of years. Um, it, it could all change if Shane Wright is the difference maker. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to reverse, reverse strengths this. <laughs> I don't want, as a Bruins fan, I don't want the Habs to get Shane Wright, but I, I know that's, it's inevitable that they're going to get Shane Wright. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, but maybe like Harry Price just wants to go to another team so that he can uh, get that cup and remove his no movement clause. Um, of course it would be tough because that's $10 million for five, four more years at that point. But, um, but yeah, I could see that maybe Harry Price wants to request a trade and, and, um, they can get something out of it. But, uh, but yeah, we'll see. Um. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think, I, I think the Habs resurgence will be reliant on uh, Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, uh, Alex Romanoff, and whoever they end up taking in this draft, whoever that is. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that's who they'll, that will be the core. But um, yeah, I don't think Price and Weber will be involved as much, although they may end up being involved just from like an experience standpoint and they can mentor these young guys um, coming into the league. Yeah, which is which is a good enough reason to, to keep them around oh, as, yeah. as long as you can, uh, if you can. Um, again, uh, in terms of the short-term resurgence, uh, and, and it adds to my point of 
how far the Habs should take this is, let's say in a couple of years the Habs are good. How old is Shea Weber going to be if he's still playing? And how old is Carey Price going to be when he's still playing? They'll right. both be in their late 30s is the answer. And at that point, like, what's their level, their, their stamina, their endurance, uh, their production? What's it going to be like? We, we really don't know. Yep. Um, which is why I agree, Brett, long-term, those guys more than anything, and I would also say Brendan Gallagher as well to an extent, yep. um, are going to be key parts of the, the Hats resurgence for the long-term. They have to be. Uh, but for the short-term, you know, if, if Price and Weber can play a role, then obviously that's a bonus. Um, but they need they need to learn to find a way to win games without Price and Weber because that reality is fast approaching and it's yep. and it's closer than we think. To be yeah, yeah. I I guess that's kind of like been a theme because that's what the Bruins are doing, like have to do now. I mean, like this yeah. is the second time this second time in Carey Price's career where he's missed a significant time due to injury, and the Habs have been horrid yep. the entire time he's been out. Well, what's crazy, too, is, like, this team was in the Stanley Cup Finals last year. Uh, just just think about that. Like, this team was in the Stanley Cup Finals last year. Granted, you had Carey Price in. You, uh, you had some of Shea Weber. But, like, and it was a different team. You had Corey Perry in the mix as well. So, like, uh, and you also had Kotka Niemi, Philip Deneau. As well, we also had to know yeah. one of their best, one of the best two-way uh, standers in the game. Yeah, so so it's like, like yeah, you could say that like this mess is because Price and Weber are out of it, and that that definitely has an effect of it. But it's also like Philip Deneau was there, Corey Perry as well. So it's like it's not just uh, like that's the reason why they're not doing so hot right now. And I don't think it was fully on Ducharme as well. Um, either, but, uh, but yeah, but maybe he just lost the room and we'll see, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, it is kind of crazy when you think about it. Cause like, I was thinking like, okay, the Habs without Carey Price and Shea Weber, they're not probably not going to make the playoffs this year, but I didn't think that they would be this bad. Um, so, yeah. so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of remarkable in that sense. Um, and I, I, as a Bruins fan, I, I kind of want to see the Habs be at least a contender team, like a bubble team. Um, cause it's it, like the league's not as fun when the Habs aren't good. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to root them. I'm going to root for them to be good enough that I'm just going to start to hate them again. <laughs> um, but I, I'm going to rescind my hatred for the Habs until further notice. Um, kind of like what I did for the Leafs until they ended up getting Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, and then I started to hate them. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, I, ju I just want the Habs to be good. I, I feel like the league needs Montreal to be good. Yeah, and, and it's, it's going to be awfully tough uh, for the Habs also to compete when you consider, again, like we've mentioned, that Ottawa's a team on the rise, Detroit, you look at the progress that they've made, Tampa yep. and Florida are still good, Toronto's still good, and, and you never know what you could expect with Buffalo too, yep. so they're they're in a tough spot. Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed you didn't mention Boston, but that's okay. 
<laughs> well, I don't know what to expect from Boston. Yeah, yeah, I guess. The, but they, but they, even even then, and then, until yeah. they start struggling, the Bruins are still there. Yep, I mean, Boston is kind of in a similar shape, as we just mentioned. So, um, yeah. Better shape than the Habs. Yeah, true. Oh, hopefully. Uh, you need to knock on wood on there. Um, <laughs> the uh, Although, if, if the Bruins end up getting Connor Bedard, I will not complain. Um, so I will. We deserve more since then. <laughs> um, okay. Anyways, uh, that's that about does it for us here at Lace Them Up. Um, the uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on SoundCloud at Lace Them Up, and uh, or wherever else you get your podcasts like. Uh, Spotify or Apple iTunes. Um, I also, uh, I forget what I usually use, but Pocket Cast, that's what I usually use. But um, yep, any, anywhere else you get your podcast. Um, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 308 of the Lace Up Podcast. <laughs>